Jesus, thank you for the good news that we celebrate today and ask that you use these next few minutes to help us love you and follow you more. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, happy Easter. Good to see all of you here. A friend of mine uh, says that growing up, his dad didn't like Christians because he said they took big things and they made them small. So they would take the, you know, shrink the wonder of the universe down to arguments over evolution, uh, missing the big picture, or fight over tiny little theological points that don't matter. Big things small. Well, in college, my friend started reading the Bible because he felt he should know what he was against, right? And found that he really liked Jesus, who talked about the renewal of all things and justice for the poor and reconciliation be, you know, to God and to each other. Big stuff, not small stuff. So he got interested in following Jesus, which horrified his father. And his mom didn't know what to do, so she asked a local pastor to come talk to him. And my friend was about 19 at the time, so the pastor came and said, I understand that you're having some sort of religious experience, and that means you're probably going to end up being a pastor someday. So I'm just here because I want you to know which denomination has the best pension plan. <laughs> like, totally proved his dad right in 10 seconds, right? And ultimately, my friend actually ended up becoming a pastor, so Jesus won out. But I agree with my friend's dad. One of the things that kept me an atheist for years was the way some Christians made big things small, fight over little bits of tiny the theological points, or judge everyone, or Jesus becomes the magician whose job it is to make me happy, comfortable, successful. But here's the thing, if what you want is something that guarantees success and comfort and, and, and prestige, following Jesus is not your best option for that. But if what you want is resurrection, new life coming out of old wounds, if you want to be braver and part of a rescue mission to this world, well, then Jesus is for you. And Easter shows that Jesus is so much bigger than religious people make him in a couple of ways. For starters, Jesus did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive, braver, more compassionate, which is good the way Jesus was good, but not good in a like irritating goody two-shoes kind of a way. Because see, conventionally good people sometimes have the most insidious sins, lovelessness and lack of compassion and judgmentalism, right? It was conventionally good religious leaders that killed Jesus, Pastor Tony Campolo tells a story about a man who constantly criticized people who had so much as a sip of wine for dinner, right? Not, you know, abusing alcohol is, is destructive, but just even little bits, right? So Tony said to him, well, you know, Jesus turned water into wine just to keep a mirror or just to keep a party going, right? And this man said, yes, I know, and that has always been an embarrassment to me. <laughs> See, the problem with people who think they don't have any vices is you can bet they have some pretty irritating virtues, Right? And I would far rather go to church with messed up people seeking Jesus than with religious people who think they're his enforcer. That's why Jesus yelled at religious leaders and hung out with thieves and prostitutes. In the text we just read, Mary Magdalene is the least likely person to be the first witness of the resurrection. For starters, she's a woman in a culture that despised women. Right? Worse, she is this woman right, from the town of Magdala, which was the Las Vegas of its day, right, what sort of corrupt and licentious, what happened in Magdala, stayed in Magdala, right? <laughs> Tradition says she was a prostitute. She was caught in a misdirected search for love, but at least she had a heart, because sometimes conventionally good people don't. 
But when Jesus aimed her heart correctly, she was transformed. And while all of Jesus' male disciples were cowering in fear because they'd seen him crucified, only Mary and a few other women had the guts to show up at that tomb and then go and tell the disciples later on. And once they got with the program, well, then they started a movement, not a religion, a movement where the rich cared for the poor, where they were unafraid of death, so unafraid they'd care for plague victims. Jesus didn't make them good in the worst sense of the word. He made them alive. Second way Jesus is bigger than we think, Jesus doesn't make us nice, he makes us new. Nowhere does it say that what Easter is about is us getting kind of nicer so we can go to heaven. Easter is about the renewal of all things. God has promised to restore this earth to what he always intended it to be. This earth without all the garbage where we will live in bodies that will never die. And Jesus' resurrection signals that God has begun the process of making all things new. Today's text starts early on the first day of the week. That's an allusion to Genesis, where God starts to create on the first day of the week. Now he's recreating on this new first day of the week. And resurrection, renewal, man, this is something we long for, right? I mean, because we always were thinking things like, man, if only I could take that grade and that class back or, or the last five years of my marriage back. If only I could get my old body back. If only I could get my hair back. <laughs> I've heard people say that. Insecure people. <laughs> we long for renewal and the making new of ourselves, right? That's why we have self-improvement plans, and that's why we make resolutions. But I don't know about you, but try as I might, I always mess up my resolutions. Back in January, I saw this post on Facebook. My New Year's resolution is to stop putting my foot in my mouth all the time. I'll bet yours is to lose weight, huh? <laughs> you ever do that? Like make a resolution and just instantly... I mess it up all the time. I mess up little things, big things. A couple summers ago, I took my son camping with some other dads and their sons, and we wanted to have like some meaningful content. So one morning, we each took our sons on a walk and asked, and asked two questions. What do I do that you want me to do more of, and what do, I, what do you want me to do less of? Well, my son had some answers to the first question, but couldn't think of anything he wanted me do, to do less of. So I made suggestions, you know, less nagging, less suggesting things, on and on and on. He kept saying, no, no, no. I said, well, there must be something you want me to do less of. And he said, less questions when we go camping. <laughs> and I resisted the urge to say, you mean fewer questions. <laughs> In spite of my good intentions, I messed that up. I mess up big stuff, too. Big stuff. But Jesus makes us new. After Mary sees the empty tomb, it says she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. You know who that is? That's John, the author, talking about himself. Right? Like, I love that. There's Peter, but I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> and then it says, so Peter and the other disciple the one Jesus loved, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> what, are we like five? <laughs> I beat you, I beat you, Peter. <laughs> but what sounds kind of weird to us, what I think John's driving at here in his weird little way is that the defining feature of his life isn't his career, it's not his looks, it's not his grades, it's that he is loved by Jesus. It's that he says, he can say, I am a child of God. Hallelujah. And that's interesting because John was a little bit rough around the edges. His nickname was Son of Thunder. How do you think you get that nickname? <laughs> By being nice to people? 
At one point, he gets mad at a village and he says to Jesus, shall we call fire down on this village from heaven? Right? Like, wow. But the love of Jesus made him new. This is the disciple Jesus loved. And it changed him. Toward the end of the Bible, there are three letters from John that are all about God's love. And Jesus didn't make him nice because he, he hated injustice because if you th- love makes you hate injustice. But he was new. And no matter how many times we blow it, and I blow it a lot, Jesus will not give up on you. When I was a college pastor, sometimes students would say to me, I can't come to church on Sunday morning. I'm usually still drunk from Saturday night. And I would say that is exactly when God wants your hindquarters in church. And you will hear Jesus say to you, I love you. I have a better way. Do you want to try it? When you have caved into the addiction or lost your temper or blown it for the thousandth time, Jesus still says, I love you. I have a better way. Do you want to try it? And he will never let go of you. He will not give up. There's a story about Jackie Sherrill. He's a former coach of Mississippi State, and he was famous for motivating his team in weird ways. And after one really bad loss, he called a team meeting, and he said, you guys got to get tougher. You know how tough you guys got to get? And he reached in and pulled out a baby alligator from a bucket and let it bite him on the seat of his pants and just kind of hang there as he walked around saying, this is how tough you got to be. You got to be able to stand the pain, right? And then he poked the alligator in the eyes to make it let go, which may be the only helpful thing you get from this illustration. (laughs) Then he picked the alligator up and he said, okay, who wants to go next? And nobody said anything until finally a lineman said, "Uh, I will coach if you don't poke me in the eyes to make me let go. (laughs) Just love that story. Here's the thing. Jesus will not give up. He will not let go. He is persistent in making you alive and making you new third. Jesus did not come to make us religious, but to make us rebels against the status quo. Where does the idea come from that we should eliminate racism and poverty and injustice? For centuries, people just said, well, that's just life. Can't fix that. The idea that those things can and should be fixed comes from Christianity and is deeply rooted in the resurrection, that all things will be made new, which means we, his followers, have a job to do. In this story, Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you as the Father sent me. In other words, he sends us to carry out his rescue mission. He's making new of all things. And the way you know that you've met the risen Jesus is if there's any go-ye in your life. I just saw an interview with a white supremacist thrown in jail for bombing black churches. The only thing available to read was the Bible. And as he compared his hate to Jesus' radical love, it changed him. And now he's a Christian who goes around trying to convince other white supremacists to give that up and work for racial reconciliation and justice. So much bigger than religion. Which brings me to my last point. Jesus doesn't make us docile. He makes us defiant. By that I mean Easter says no matter how hard things get, we do not have to cave into despair. We We can be defiant of our circumstances and live in joy knowing that God will take every painful thing and force it to be the ultimate servant of our joy. Just as he used Jesus' death on a cross to pay the price for our sins that deep down we know needs to be paid so that we can live shame-free. And then he conquered even death by rising three days later from the grave. 
The writer Bob Goff says that when Jesus died, darkness fell, his friends scattered, all hope seemed lost, but heaven just started counting to three. Easter does not promise that there will be no crucifixion. It just says there will always be resurrection and new life coming out of old wounds. It may take three days, three months, three years, three decades, but Jesus will take everything the enemy aims at us and turn it around for good. There's an opera singer named Diane whose son was born with cerebral palsy and needed a lot of intensive care, so she had to quit her career. And she yelled at God, was discouraged for years, but Jesus making new of all things was at work in her life. And she began to see how people with disabilities are excluded and how that affects their self-esteem. So she started a group in her town called the Arts Inclusion Project that trains disabled kids to sing, to dance, to perform, and which helps them overcome their assumption that, the, that their different abilities kind of limit and define them. They hold concerts, and sometimes if kids need a little extra help, there'll be someone behind the curtain to give them a boost, but just a little so that the kids stand out as much as possible. One mom said it transformed her daughter, Katie, who has Down syndrome. Katie chose to sing On My Own from Les Mis, a very challenging song. But she worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. And on the day of the concert her, she performed, her mom just sat there sobbing, thinking, this is my daughter. All of which gave, gave Katie the confidence to go get a job as an office assistant, kind of moving beyond the Down syndrome. Now, God didn't cause Diane's son to have cerebral palsy, but his making new of all things was at work in it, using her opera training to bring confidence to dozens of kids, but also to bring confidence, hope, and joy to her. She is not a victim. She is defiantly joyful in the face of her circumstances and is rebelling against the forces of prejudice and exclusion. She's made new. <clears throat> There's a line in an Easter hymn that says, made like him, like him we rise, ours the cross, the grave, the skies. And what that means is we can say, give me the cross, give me the grave, it'll only lead me to the skies. Lose your job, get sick, somebody breaks up with you, there will be a resurrection. Even when we die, we are raised in a new body that will never die again. Jesus is about so much more than religion. He is making all things new. Now that won't be finished until he returns, but it has begun. It's like a sunny day in April in Seattle, like today. It's a preview that tells you that summer will be here in mid-July, but it will be here. <laughs> Easter is like the second day of antibiotics, right? Things aren't fully remade yet, but it's coming. Count to three, it's on its way. A pastor named Stephen Foster tells a story of how his dad, named Greg, grew up in England, very poor, quit school to work in a coal mine. But he got a really strong desire to live in China and help people in poverty there. So scraped money together and went to Bible school and met a woman and they learned Chinese together. And, and then they got married and they, they scraped and they saved. And finally, after years, got enough money to pay their own way. But just as they were about to leave, there was some economic challenges in China. This was about 30 years ago. And the Bank of England imposed currency controls and they couldn't get their money changed. So his trip was off. And Greg was devastated. Well, he'd been asked to speak at a church one Sunday about his missionary plans. So he showed up at the church, miserable, gave a miserable little talk about how now he couldn't go to China because of the currency control and all of that, right? Sat down, miserable. And as the church was emptying out, this guy walked in, kind of looking a bit lost, wandered over to Greg, who was in no mood to talk. And Greg said, I'm sorry, the service is over. 
And the other guy said, oh, that's a shame. I, I don't ever, I've never been to this church. I go to another church across town. But for some reason today as I was driving, I felt like I was supposed to come to this church. And Greg said, well, that's very nice, but the service is over. I'm leaving. I'm going home. And then there was a pause, and the other guy said, well, this will sound a bit odd, but I'm actually the head of currency control at the Bank of England. Is there anything I can do for you? So Greg got his money changed. He and his wife lived in China for years, helped people out of poverty. Some people started following Jesus because of their example. Well, God didn't cause all the hardships, but he used them to give Greg and his wife perseverance, which they need in China, but also show them that though it may take time, count to three, God always brings new life. So what needs to be made new for you? A relationship, career, health, faith, God will do it. Sometimes it's a little bit miraculous, as in Greg's case. Sometimes it's the miracle God does in and through us, as in the case of Diane, the opera singer, but he will bring new life. And if you call yourself a Christian, here's my question to you. Is your life any different because of Jesus other than that you go to church? Not that you're perfect, but are you in process, becoming more alive, changing the status quo, becoming more joyful even in hard times? And if the answer is no, then it's not Jesus you're following, it's religion. So how can you connect with him at a deeper level? And if you don't know Jesus, give him a try. In the bulletin, I've listed some reasons to believe that Jesus really was raised from the dead along with some reading, and I think that helps. But the way you really know Jesus and what he can do is to invite him into your life. Try him out. What do you have to lose? Pray to him. What do you have to lose? Do a few of the things he says to do. Find a good church that can help you with that. He will not make you religious or nice or docile, but he will over time make you a rebel that changes the world, defiantly joyful no matter what you face. I'll close with an analogy I'm borrowing from Pastor John Ortberg. As you know, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series last year, which in itself is proof that God exists. Because they hadn't won in 108 years, and people talked about the curse. It wasn't just that they hadn't won, it's that they couldn't win. They were cursed. Year after year, they'd come close, but they'd end up disappointed. Then last year, they got in the World Series, fell behind three games to one, but then they caught up, and it all came down to that last game. And they had a huge lead, but then they blew it, and it went into extra innings. And Cubs fans were like, oh, man, it's happening again. It's going to happen again. But then in the bottom of the 10th, Cleveland had two outs against them, only one more out to go, and then a ball was hit to Cubs all-star third baseman Chris Bryant. Take a look. This is him about to catch the ball. He hasn't caught it yet, but he's about to. Why is he smiling? Because he knows. He knows. Game's still going. Plenty could go wrong, but he knows. It is finished. The curse is lifted. Ultimate victory is assured. Just a matter of time. Count to three. Go ahead and roll the video. So he fields it perfectly, throws it flawlessly, falls on his knees to praise God, <laughs> and does what people do when they know that ultimate victory is assured. He celebrates, jumps up and down. How can you not be romantic about baseball? <clears throat> That's Easter. It's not about religion or rules or pension plans or rituals. It's about the biggest thing there is. This story that we are in, the game's still going. History is still in process. It's not completely over yet, but we can celebrate because we know. 
We know the end of the story. We know that Jesus wins. There may be trials. Bodies get sick. Relationships fall apart. The game's not over yet, but Easter shows that Jesus has begun his making new of all things, and not even death can stop it, which means we can be defiantly joyful. The curse is lifted. It is finished. Count to three. We can say, come on, crosses, come on, graves. The lower you lay me, the higher he'll raise me because Jesus is bigger than religion, bigger than our pain, bigger than our boredom, bigger than our sin, our rock and redeemer, our savior and shield. He spun the galaxies, drove back the sea. He beat a giant, made the leper clean, the lame to walk and the blind to see. Whom then shall we fear? Whom then shall we fear? Religious leaders couldn't stand him. Rome couldn't stop him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave wouldn't hold him. He mends what is broken, finds what is lost, saves what is sinful, heals what is hurting. He is not small. He is the Lord God Almighty. He makes all things new. So Jesus, thank you for your making new of all things in the middle of our lives and in the middle of this world. Jesus, we ask that you would help us see where you are doing that, join you in your rescue mission, and be part of your making new of all things through your power. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.